Welcome to Urban Forum Northwest with your host, Eddie Rye. We have a number of folks who are going to be speaking with today, and we have a couple events that's coming up. Uh, the August 27th uh, Centennial Celebration at Garfield High School. We'll be talking to some folks about that a little later. But on August 28th is the 59th anniversary of the 1963 March on Washington, D.C. for Jobs and Freedom. And that was coordinated by A. Philip Randolph, the NAACP, the Urban League, and naturally the Black clergy. And to that end, I don't want to go to our president of the Seattle King County NAACP, Carolyn Riley Payne, and ask Ms. Payne to let us express her, her viewpoints on why it's important for Black folks to keep marching. <laughs> oh, hi, Eddie. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Why is it important? Uh, for a number of reasons, uh, we're, we need to make sure that people remember what we were trying to accomplish because everybody thinks we made it. And so as long as we, are, we bring it to their, to their conscious mind, the struggle that we are still in, uh, using what we've done in the past, uh, then that will bring the new generation on board as well as the old generation helping, uh, helping us combine our efforts to make a difference. It's, um, it, it's more than just a march. And, and I think that's what we need to make sure that uh, we get that message out. It is not. It is more than just a march, and so we and we need to start changing the narrative on that. So, and uh, for the past several years, the Martin Luther King Commemoration Committee, a lot of us were involved with the creating the Martin Luther King as well as the organizing coalition to sponsor the march and rally. But uh, a lot of folks feel it's important to celebrate and observe any and all dates that have anything to do with Martin Luther King Jr., whether that's the day he was assassinated when they had Larry Gossett and the Elman Dixon guys in jail, for some reason they got them off the streets because they thought they were going to create some issues. But uh, I, I'd also like to see uh, 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 Reverend uh, uh, Martin, it was Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. A lot of people just see the civil rights path, but he was he was a, a minister of the gospel. And I want to ask Perry, uh, Pastor Kerry Anderson, uh, the senior pastor of First Sammy Church, which also that produced a whole bunch of civil rights leaders in the, our time of need in the 50s and early 60s, they're talking about John Hurst Adams. But Pastor Kerry Anderson, why is it important for the clergy to extol people to get involved with the civil rights movement? Well, the Black church has always been involved in the civil rights movement because it impacted the way in which our communities were uh, held together, and it uh, banded people together, and it informed us. We didn't have the internet back during the civil rights, early stages of the civil rights movement when it was initiated. And so uh, it was the nucleus of black folk in church where the black church was able to expound upon the uh, issues that face the day to hear from the constituency of the community. And so we have to continue to march and, and not be hoodwinked by the narrative that we've made it because we have not made it. It's still an opportunity for us to fight for justice and freedom. Well, I would say that uh, uh, the president, uh, former president Donald Trump and his supporters have certainly let people know exactly the state of, of race in this nation. 
And uh, like I was telling some friends earlier, uh, you know, uh, the military is supposed to fight uh, enemies foreign and domestic. When it comes down to African-Americans, mm-hmm. our enemy is not in some foreign country. They're right here on these shores. So mm-hmm. I want to want to ask uh, uh, Hayward Evans to uh, just talk a little bit about what's coming up on uh, uh, Sunday, August 28th at the Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial Civil Rights Park. Uh, Eddie, uh, first, thank you for having me, and, and Carolyn and my pastor, even though I don't go to your church officially, Rev, I'm there always in spirit. I love First Church. And my sister, Bridget, boy, girl, I am so proud of you, and I'm going to get to you in a minute. But but why do we march? I love that question. We march because we know what's going on in America. Let's look at the insurrection, January 6th. That is very, very real. Let's look at the voter suppression. How can they present over a thousand laws across the nation to curtail our ability to vote when we should be embracing people's opportunity to vote, right? Why we why do we even have an election on Thursday, even though the beauty of the state of Washington is we have ballots, but it should be like on a Saturday. Everybody go vote on a Saturday. The reason why we 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 just have to come together is just there's so many issues that are impacting our community. I'm talking about, yeah, you know, we lost over three billion dollars. If we look at the impact of I-1000 uh, here in the state of Washington, going to, to businesses of color. So we're talking about the uh, March for uh, Jobs and Freedom. Same thing today. You could take Dr. King's speech, read it right now, and it has a direct impact on people here today. And so for me, look, at life is not a spectator sport. People got to get off the sidelines. Whether you like it or not, you're going to be impacted by policies. And that's why it's so critical, one, that we vote, two, that we show up, and three, that we we stay engaged. And it's not about the issues that I'm presenting. What issue is near and dear to you, Mr. or Mrs. Listenership? And then those are the things you need to focus on in the spirit of inclusion, in the spirit of diversity, in the spirit of social equity and justice. And I'm, I'm I'm saying to all y'all, you got to get involved. And somebody who's gotten involved, Eddie, if I may, is uh, is Mrs. Hampstead. Bridget, Mrs. Hampstead with, with the um, Sierra Sisters. For over 20 years, am I correct, Mrs. Hampstead? The program that you put together to bring, uh, to almost educate 27, people. almost 27 years. 27 years, educating people on health-related issues, particularly women and breast cancer. You just had a fair, didn't you? Just recently, again, just up there in Skyway on, on the 30th. Where yes, they were doing free mammograms. I mean, I am so proud of you. And that's why, if I if I may just announce it, uh, uh, Mrs. Hampstead is getting the uh, Odessa Brand Humanitarian Award on the 28th. So anybody who believes in health should come out and give her. So I'm giving you applause right now. I know the listenership can't see it, but y'all can. I applaud you. Please, let me, can I turn it over to Bridget, if I may? Yeah, well, we'd like to hear uh, uh, some of the uh, stuff you've been doing over the years, Ms. Simpson. Yeah, so, well, um, I think everybody in Washington probably knows I'm a survivor of breast cancer, and that's why I started Sierra Sisters. And Sierra is an African word that means knowing. If you have the knowledge, you have the power to fight against the effects of breast cancer and any other cancer. And the reason why I started Sierra Sisters is because when I was diagnosed at a very young age on my 35th birthday, my doctor prior told me that I didn't need a mammogram because 
I was a young woman and I was black and I didn't want, need to worry about it in my community. And then when I was diagnosed, she came back and apologized and said, this is the most disturbing thing. She said, this is what I was taught in school. So this is 1996. And the same concept is still happening today. So some of the things that we've created, some wonderful um, local and global programs to educate our community, that's evidence-based. And we've created um, educated black folks that can talk to our community members. We definitely have a mistrust in the healthcare system with good reason. They continue to misdiagnose us or give us wrong treatment options for the type of disease that a person may have. And if you're not knowledgeable about it, then you'll fall into a system that is designed, it was totally designed not to keep us healthy. So we have to know how to advocate, know how to navigate and stand up for our rights and demand them within the healthcare system. And that's changing policies. And one of the big projects that we're working on now is um, racism in, in, in oncology. And we're working on a big project with Fred Hutch and we're the lead organization that is running that. So we'll have a dissemination about that in February, but we also educated our community and we're getting ready to do a thousand bag distribution door to door in Skyway of life-saving, life health information. That's our dedication that we've had that's, and that's, so much more. Yes, yeah, that's, that's quite a bit of dedication. But I want to go back to, uh, to Carolyn Riley Payne, our president of the NAACP, because uh, she tells me that she has uh, uh, two more months uh, in the job as president. And uh, I know that uh, when she took over the NAACP, it was, to be honest with you, it was in disarray. And I uh, understand they went from being bankrupt. Uh, is it public information how much money y'all have in the bank right now, President Carolyn Riley Payne? Well, of course, it's public information. We, we put it out at our every meeting. Um, thank you. Yes, we are blessed to have 200 and, I don't know, $30,000 in the bank. How much did you have when you took over as president? Uh, we were a negative $20,000 when I took over, something like that. See, that's what I'm saying. So we have, um, over this last, I guess, this is my, uh, okay, the end of my second year as pre uh, president uh, being elected. Um, although I've served three and a half years because I served out the last person's uh, uh, term. We are increasing our memberships with the membership had gone down from a thousand to 200 and something. And now we're back to um, uh, more than a thousand members. And so we're, it's, we're still doing all the things that the NAACP always does, but we, and we have more people now coming out to, um, to work and to offer their help. I think that, you know, like any organization, it's a volunteer organization. So you have to uh, take into uh, account that people come and go in and out and being a volunteer based organization it is sometimes difficult to rally around the kind people around the issues 
but a lot of people can stand out there and tell us what we're not doing. And so when I, now that I, I used to get really upset and say, oh my goodness, what I say to people now is, thank you so very much for that information. Come join us and let us, and, and help us. Since that's important to you, it's important to us. But we need your help. Don't, don't criticize and tell us what we're not doing. Come and help us do what we need to do. Yes. So. Well, I'll tell you one thing. Uh, a lot of people had pretty much given up. And uh, after you led uh, the Axel program for almost 40 years, uh, I mean, you, you know all the ins and outs and all the people knew you. So uh, you just did an amazing job. And uh, that's why we gave you an award a long time ago. But, <laughs> I, so, but anyway, if you could get some of those thousands out on August 28th to hear you speak uh, at uh, the 59th anniversary of 1963 March on Washington, D.C. for Jobs and Freedom. We're at 2.30. And uh, so uh, I want to make sure that you extend that invitation to those thousand members as well. Yeah, I want to go good. back now to uh, Pastor Kerry Anderson uh, to talk about uh, 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 what First Church is doing in terms of, uh, of uh, and they're always doing something because I know my daughter, Angela, one of your Axel students, uh, uh, Representative Payne, was uh, one of the speakers at a, a youth law forum that they have on a Saturday. And I know uh, Judge McCullough is uh, one of his babies. So, uh, Pastor Anderson, can you share that information with our listeners? Yes, we have sponsored the youth, it's now called the Judge Charles B. Johnson Youth and Law Forum for the past 31 years. And uh, this year, we're going to be focusing on mental health and our youth and young adults, as well as um, our parents, so that we can address the issue of the criminalization of our youth and young adults, and also take into consideration uh, mental health aspects of criminalization. We find that uh, many of those who have been convicted of crimes and go to prison, they do have either First of all, the breakdown of the family. Secondly, they have substance abuse issues. And thirdly, they have mental health uh, histories. And so you can't address one without touching base with all the other aspects uh, to really bring forth a well-rounded program for re-entry for uh, ex-felons as they're coming out of prison. We're trying to keep uh, our young people from going to prison, but we've got to address uh, the issue of mental health and suicide mm -hmm. and depression and some of these other anxieties that our young people are dealing with. Uh, really, they go through a trauma. They're going through trauma in the classroom. They're going through trauma just getting to school. There is trauma and drama in the community. And so we've got to address a well-rounded uh, youth and law form that takes into account all of these uh, different variables that we're dealing with. So I'm excited. We did have attorney Angela Rye one year. It was one of our best years, may I say to her father. And she came and blessed us with not just her eloquence and her um, prowess, but also giving us keys and giving the young people a success identity to know that they too can achieve and strive and you put your determination together, work your plan and then plan your work, plan your work and then work your plan. And there's no telling what God can do. So thank you for giving me this opportunity to talk about the Charles 
v. Judge, uh, Judge Charles V. Johnson Youth and Law Forum. Yeah, his memorial service was yesterday. I did attend that. As a matter of fact, uh, a person that's been to jail a few times for protests, nothing serious. If it was, it was serious, I'd be to go to jail. But seeing that many judges scared me. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he must have had 40 judges. I was looking at him. I said, well, that's a lot of time walking up that aisle. <laughs> but anyway. Uh, I said, Eddie, I said that the courts have shut, must be shut down because all the judges were in at Charles's, uh, at the J Judge Johnson's uh, memorial service. <laughs> they, were, they were definitely there. You did an outstanding job when you spoke uh, at the memorial service as well. Uh, I want to ask uh, Hayward now to give us some more details about the logistics for uh, uh, without sharing. We're going to have to save some for next week, Hayward. But you know, uh, if, if if I may, may I share? Uh, 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 Pastor Carey, when I look on his wall, I think there's a Martin Luther King Award up there for him too. Oh, <laughs> man. We're talking about the old timers that go back away. Amen to y'all. Amen to y'all. But but well well deserved uh, well deserved award. You know, we're really I was saying, hey, would I have a Freedom Award certificate from the uh, NAACP as a member in the Reno Sparks branch? And now you see it, amen. <laughs> but, but Pastor Kerry, you deserve it all. Uh, you know, I if I can just talk for myself from my heart, love you. You are fabulous in my book. Hell, you you're right up there in the front page. Okay, <laughs> invocate then Pastor Kerry. Yes, you are fantastic to me. But anyway, the twenty eighth really encouraging people to be out there. If we look at everything that's transpiring in our society, it, it's sort of, it's like the, the second Jim Crow. And if anybody reads a little bit about history and knows about the first Jim Crow, is we got black folks, the highest levels ever in government, and buying property and opening farms, and all of a sudden there's a backlash. We're going through that backlash right now. And Eddie knows that I don't like to say the name of number 45, but Donald Trump's people out there are very, very real, very real. And, and very busy. Very, And their goal is to suppress us. And if we don't stand up for ourselves, who's going to stand up for us? And I'm saying this is a time that we need to look at all those issues that impact social equity. A woman's right to choose. How can the Supreme Court take away a woman's right to choose? How can you legislate if a woman has a right to choose? what to do with her own body. From my observations, that's wrong. And, and it's also directly related to health, directly related to health. This is gonna have a greater impact all around on the health of our black community. Yes, you're, hey, absolutely, you're absolutely right on that one. And you heard, I'm gonna call you Dr. Hampstead. <laughs> Hampstead doctor. Yes, ma'am, madam doctor. No, for real, great job. And we need to look at it just like Eddie and the, and the Reverend alluded to, the mental impact and the digital impact on young people. What's going on in their mind? Why are there so many mass shootings? I mean, come on. We need to come together as a people, as a society. And just because we're Seattleites, hey, we're also citizens of Martin Luther King County, only county after a black person in the nation, the state of Washington, but we're all uh, citizens of the of the world. We all live here on this little ball, floating around yeah. in the universe together. And we hey, well, I got a couple of shout outs to do before before the segment's over. Oh, please. First uh -huh. of all, I want to thank all y'all, but I must mention these folks and the people that help bring uh, Urban Forum Northwest to the people. 
that's Sound Transit's uh, Civil Rights Office of Equity and Inclusion with John Tay Robinson is in charge. The City of Seattle's Purchase Construction Services Office, Liz Alzier is in charge. The Port of Seattle's Diversity Contracting Office. As a matter of fact, the Port Commissioner is getting an award uh, next week on the 28th. And I want to I have to say that uh, uh, the star pillar in our community, uh, Dorothy Hollingsworth, will be funeralized uh, next Thursday at 11 o'clock a.m. at First AME. And then on Friday, uh, August 26th at First AME at 11 o'clock, Juan Huey Ray will be memorialized. And we have some of the folks from the Sound of the Northwest that will be on at the latter part of, the, of this program today. And then I have to give a shout out to a young lady I work with the Community Coalition for Contracts and Jobs, and that's Shalise Montgomery. I was shocked to see her. Uh, she passed away being funeralized on the 20th in Jackson, Tennessee, and there will be a service in Seattle. Uh, uh, later on, will be announced in the, the Facts newspaper. And then Cecil Beatty Yasutake uh, Memorial Service will be at 2 o'clock on Saturday at the Columbia City Theater. And then my own sister, Brenda Joyce Rye Brock, who died during the pandemic, and she was a retired uh, librarian at Lakeside Upper School, and there will be a memorial service for her on Saturday at 2 o'clock. So, boy, I can't keep them all, but i tell you one thing. Uh, uh, Judge Johnson, uh, we have got to do more. Uh, there needs to be a, a really something special done for Judge Charles B. Johnson. I mean, he was just an absolute pillar in our community. And uh, so I know Carolyn Riley Payne, since you're not going to be the president, you'll probably just be the elder and overseer. You'll probably undertake one of those, uh, uh, that, that undertake that job to, to, to make sure that the judges uh, got the proper participation. Now, I think we're missing, uh, did I miss uh, uh, Pastor Jimmy Hurd from uh, the Home Gate Street Church of Christ? But he does, he's dealing with a lot of young people. So uh, I'm, I'm can I just share the criteria? We have to, hey, the time is up. Oh. <laughs> you have to do that one next week. You're on next okay. week, too, okay? Amen. So, okay, so anyway, I want to thank you all today. And uh, the people that's going to be on later, hang on. You're all welcome to stay on. Just stay mooted until you start talking. So, uh, Eric, go ahead and take us into this break, and we'll be back after this. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community, and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion, and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxshops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill and the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, 
Link Live Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Link Live Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Link Light Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Link Light Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Walking your talk? Take us with you. The KKNW app makes streaming our programming easy on your phone or tablet. All right, Eddie Ryan back at Urban Forum Northwest with our next segment of Urban Forum Northwest. And I have with me... Uh, the former president, I mean, the former principal of Garfield High School, who worked two years diligently with uh, the Centennial Committee. But uh, Ted Howard Jr. is the assistant superintendent of Seattle Public Schools, was a principal of Garfield for many years, was always rated one of the top schools, high schools in the country. And uh, Carver Gayton, who also started it at Garfield after getting out of the University of Washington, uh, he was there when Dr. Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. spoke at two assemblies at Garfield. And uh, we want to talk about um, uh, the, the uh, Garfield Centennial. And so what I want to do is uh, start out with Ted Howard, because he probably knows more about Garfield than all of us 50s-somethings graduates put together. So uh, Mr. Uh, Assistant Superintendent Ted Howard, why don't you go right ahead and share some of the legacy of the Bulldogs? All right. Thank you. Thank you for a great introduction. Uh, I would say you yourself and Carver Gaten said a, a, a legacy for us to follow. When you walk into the lunchroom, I put those words up, legacy and promise, because our promise is to continue what you guys have started and to create new pathways for our young people and uh, continue to do it, uh, you know, new and improved, as we could say. Uh, the Centennial is a way to not only honor our past, but move forward with our future and honor what 100 years has brought Garfield High School and the blessing of, of having Garfield in the central area and embrace our community. Uh, it's still the launch point of everything that goes on in Seattle. Um, and that just speaks to the rich history of Garfield High School around the sports, around the academics. And so these, uh, this time to celebrate 100 years, I'm so excited to see that happen. And everybody in the community, I want to have them come back and be a part of that celebration because it's celebrating everybody because Garfield touches the whole community around Seattle uh, and King County all over the place. So and I'll, I'll be quiet, sir. Well, no, I mean, you, like I say, we'll come back to you know more about Garfield than, any, than anyone else. Uh, Dr. Carver Gaten, why don't you give us a little of that uh, I guess the younger people say, like they tell me, well, you have some ancient history. But anyway, we're still here. So, Dr. Gaten, why don't you share with us uh, how you got to Garfield and your experience there, and then talk a little bit about uh, the, the Centennial Celebration. You are a member of the Executive Committee of the Centennial Committee. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, uh, Eddie, and uh, good uh, hearing from you, Ted. You know, two uh, legends in your own right. So, uh, you know, I'll try to... Uh, I say a little bit about uh, a great school and a, a great future that, that Garfield has. And uh, you two are, are part of that foundation that makes uh, Garfield uh, great. Uh, 
I just like to say, with regard to my connection with Garfield, it, it goes back uh, many years. I had uh, uncles and an aunt who started off at Garfield in the 1920s, and then from from that point going forward, I had those uh, eight siblings in my uh, family, and they started going to Garfield back in the early 1940s and continued on. There always had been a gate all the way through uh, 19, uh, 1964. So uh, we have a long history, and, and we feel uh, very pleased and, and, and so honored to, to have been um, students at Garfield High School and having a, you know, a great, great experience there. In fact, uh, you know, I, was at, I was at Garfield, as uh, Eddie had mentioned, as a teacher, um, all the way from 1961 through uh, 1964, and uh, even had almost had the opportunity to teach my my sister Elaine, who was uh, accidentally connected with one of my classes, and I and I really uh, gave her a, a fear, and then I I told her, well, you're going to have to stay in my class because that's what was assigned, and and she said, I'm going to go tell Mama, you know. So <laughs> so anyway, I was able to arrange to get her into a, in, into another. Another class, but I had great experiences as a as a student, as, you know, as an athlete at, at Garfield, and uh, you know, certainly as a, as a teacher. So I owe so much of, of my life, uh, my professional life, and my life in general to what Garfield has uh, had to offer. It's a real model for um, uh, schools um, today and on into the future. But the thing we, I think we have to uh, realize, and, and Ted's been, you know, so much part of this is to emphasize that, and that is that uh, we need to build on what we uh, have already established. We can't give up. We need to continuously improve as an institution at Garfield, and, uh, and we need folks, or even though they're golden grads, but making sure that they're going to stay involved in one way or the other to continue the great legacy that uh, Garfield has. Thank you, Dr. Gayton. Now we have a, 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 a new guy here. Uh, he's a 2019 graduate of uh, Garfield High School and he transferred from Kennedy Catholic School to Garfield because of the music program. And his name is Chandler Williams. And he also will be performing on August 28th at uh, the 59th anniversary of uh, the 1963 March on Washington, D.C. for Jobs and Freedom. So Chandler, why don't you uh, share with our listeners a little bit about yourself, how you got to Garfield and what was in, what, what intrigued you most about it? Yes, sir. First and foremost, thanks for having me a part of this interview. It's always a pleasure uh, to just be in conversation with all of the people that I look up to in this region, this great city of Seattle. Uh, my name is Chandler Williams. I'm 21 years old. Uh, graduate class of 2019 from the historic Garfield High School. Um, I spent my freshman and sophomore year at Kennedy Catholic High School, great school as well, but as a singer-songwriter, producer, and soon-to-be engineer. There wasn't too many resources at Kennedy that, you know, helped me thrive in that area. And, you know, nothing compares to the Quincy Jones Recording Arts Program at Garfield. So when I was educated on that, I just had to I had to be a part of that. So made that move my junior year. And through that program, I was able to produce two full-length albums, one for myself and one for one of my classmates that I met, you know, coming to Garfield High School as a new kid and just built an instant 
relationship with so many people that has lasted to this day. So I'm grateful for that experience and hope that it can continue for all of the generations to come. They have those resources and that they can thrive in their musical abilities as well. Well, I'm going to go right to Ted Howard now because uh, I think he was a principal uh, during that era. Yes, sir. My Can principal. talk a little bit about that program, Mr. Ted Howard? Hey, good to hear from you, Chandler. I, I'm expecting great things from you, as always. Uh, I tell you, uh, a lot of people don't know um, the connection that we have with uh, uh, Quincy Jones. Quincy Jones uh, pours back into the community quietly. And uh, we have a recording studio, uh, a portable one, and uh, all the supports that it takes to put together an album. One of the things that Quincy was really concerned about, um, and, we, and we learned from our past to go further in the future, he said when he first produced his albums that someone else came in and took the, the writing and they, and they made money off his albums. So first thing he wanted us to do before we were able to do anything and bring in um, sound equipment or all that, he said, I want to make sure the kids own their uh, writing and production, everything. He said, if that's not going to happen, you can't have any of my money. <laughs> so once we got that settled, kids walk out, they own everything. They can write, they can produce, they can do any of the things they need to do in that sound studio. And Chandler spent hours and hours after school and before school to get things done and the connections they make with uh, our students playing live music and Garfield just has a rich history. We tried to capture that on the first floor with our mural. Uh, some of the history going from the beginning all the way around to Obama coming to a couple other people that I want to make sure get in the mural, which George Foreman came and spoke at Garfield High School as well as at Thea Gibson. And so those two, you know, as the mural continues, uh, we need to continue to keep adding that rich history of what Garfield brought to not just uh, the students, but to Seattle as a whole. So um, that that's, uh, you know, when someone started asking me, what's some of the things that didn't happen? Uh, I would tell you, there's always another chapter of Garfield to keep going because it's just such a rich history for Garfield and our black community to merge together to be able to uh, tell their story in a lot of different ways. But I tell you, we wouldn't have got this done without Quincy's support financially, as well as his vision around what it, it takes to write music. And so I'm so happy to hear Chandler saying he's going to be an engineer now because he was doing it all. Yes, you know, uh, Quincy will not be uh, here for the uh, centennial on August 27th, but he has, has sent a video. So uh, folks can observe that as well. Uh, 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 Mr. Ted Howard, so who are some of the other musicians that came through Garfield while you were there? I don't know if uh, Clark Gayton, a famous trumpet player whose daddy's name is Carver Gayton, I don't know if he went to Garfield, but I know that uh, Owar Runga, I think, uh, Carter Yasutake, all goes by Kitero Yasutake now. And there are some other folks, and I know a lot of those, some of those folks played with Macklemore with, with other groups. Can you uh, name some of those other folks who were made it, so to speak, in terms of the record industry? Yeah, the saxophone player for uh, for Macklemore and Macklemore himself, he didn't graduate from Garfield, but he came through Garfield. Uh, he, He's like Jimmy Hendrix, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he started off, and then from there, he was still trying to find his way and, uh, and then took off. But, uh, you know, uh, a lot of people don't uh, know about the, um, the just the rich history of music, but Garfield as a whole – 
not only the music industry, but the academics. It really encompasses anybody's wishes and dreams. But then the best part of Garfield is the students run Garfield. And what I mean by that is students are able to come up with their ideas, whether it's computer science or math or whatever they want to do, and that's incorporated and then promoted at Garfield. And that advocacy that we see from our students all the time, it, it is is not just something that you, you hear about. It's real. Our kids actually march and they talk about the things that need to be talked about and they make it happen. And so um, you know, there's no victimhood at Garfield High School. Th these are students who are movers and shakers, and they know they come from victory, and they make it happen. So that's the legacy that uh, you, Mr. Rye, uh, Carver Gaten left, Dr. Gaten left, in, in, our, in our midst. So we had nothing else to do but climb that mountain. So, you know, as we climb that mountain, I look at the history of what that looks like when I see uh, my young students like Chandler making it happen. And so I know the future for tomorrow is bright because uh, of what you guys have done and what I tried to continue to hold together as we went forward uh, to make sure those stories were told. Uh, Garfo also has a um, uh, two books out called The Purple Books, uh, one written by Yosh uh, Nakagawa uh, and Junius Rochester. And it tells the rich history of Garfield. They put out uh, uh, one purple book, purple and white book, and they put out a second one. That one should be available at the Centennial as well. And it's uh, two wonderful books telling rich stories about how the community came together. And I, I would tell you the number one thing that I learned from listening to everyone, and it was so true, was the friendships that you make at Garfield are lifelong friendships. And I, I, I could testify to that, but I also was able to talk to golden grads that have graduated. And boy, I tell you, it almost makes you go like, I wish I was born during that time because the way you guys talk about it, 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 it I know it's a lot of hard work, but the friendships are just so strong. So that- Well, Ted Howard, uh, Assistant Superintendent of Seattle Public Schools, I'm glad you're there because you have all the experience of being inside of a building. You know what it takes. Uh, Chandler Williams, want to thank you very much. And also Dr. Carver Gaten, I want to thank uh, the executive committee member from the Centennial Committee, and uh, we will see you guys on Saturday the 27th. So, uh, Eric, we're going to go ahead and take a break and come back with uh, Miss Vanessa Bruce and Shirley Young after the break. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity and Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community, and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion, and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the Port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at PortSeattle.com. Org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.ctacshops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill in the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. 
Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Linklight Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Linklight Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Linklight Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Some people know a good thing when they hear it. Alternative Talk 1150. We're back at Urban Forum Northwest with uh, Miss Vanessa Wells Bruce, who is Artistic Director of the Sound of the Northwest, and Miss Shirley Young, a longtime member of, uh, of that choir that was very renowned and uh, 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 the individual that really was the backbone uh, and the visionary was uh, Juan Huey Ray, who uh, passed away in the middle of uh, uh, July and is gonna have a memorial service on Friday, August 26th at 11 o'clock a.m. at First AME Church in Seattle. So I would like to go right now to the artistic director, Ms. Vanessa Wells-Bruce to talk about uh, the choir, and I did hear them perform. It was a couple of months ago at a conference over in Bellevue. So, Ms. Bruce, go right ahead. All right. Thank you, Eddie, for inviting us to share our thoughts. I have the humbling privilege and honor to be the current artistic director of the Sound of the Northwest. I became a member in the mid around 2002 after moving to Edmonds from Iowa. I had been in a cultural vacuum for many years and being invited to the sound, I found a musical and cultural home in Seattle. Juan and Doris Huey Ray welcomed me immediately and got me involved in singing and playing piano for the group. The Huey Rays became dear friends and accepted my middle school sense of humor, sorry, middle school teacher's sense of humor and entrusted me with some leadership responsibilities. I hadn't sung spiritual since I had directed the Black Ensemble at Oberlin College in the mid seventies. When Juan and the Sound of the Northwest was invited to Carnegie Hall, he worked hard, he worked as hard to prepare. When we performed, he was ecstatic to receive several standing ovations from the audience. It was a highlight for him, the choir and me. Playing the piano at that historic site had been a dream my parents had for me, but didn't live to see it. Juan was a great man, a great communicator, encourager, and director of the sound. He engaged audiences in giving history of Black people, telling stories, inviting them to sing along with some of the spirituals. His smile could light up rooms no matter what social setting. He is sorely missed. As a new artistic director, I want to carry on Juan's legacy, which is a great one. In the past few years, the United States has been challenging uh, been challenged with many social problems of pe for people of color and all Americans. The sound looks for opportunities to tell the story and encourage all people to stand and fight for freedom and justice. This year, we will be singing a concert in November to honor Juan and his memory and his legacy. Additionally, we'll be highlighting songs written by female composers. Along with history, her story needs to be told as well and heard. We welcome singers to join the choir. And as our season begins in September, for more information, you can visit our website, which is www.thesonw.org. 
And the choir, the Sound of the Northwest Choir, will be singing at Juan's Memorial on August 26th. Uh, Ms. Shirley Young, would you share some of uh, your experiences with Juan Huey Ray? You've been a member of the choir for quite a few decades. So, uh, <laughs> and share with, also with our listeners some of the places where you guys perform. Yes, I, I really, I wanted to just give a little history, historical background of how we came into being. Um, as we performed, just as you had mentioned back in June for the Minister's Wives International Conference, it was 35 years ago that they met here. And um, at that time, Mrs. Gil, Gilby Lloyd, uh, wife of Pastor Gilby Lloyd, invited a, a she contacted Juan and asked Juan if he could put together a group of singers to perform at their conference 35 years ago. Um, and he did that. I was unable to perform in that uh, at that time, but he put the group together. The concert was had, and so many of the members enjoyed what they had done. The idea began to grow that we would continue the the practice. And so out of that event, the choir was born. Um, as I said, I joined the choir about 33 years ago. We have, um, I think all of us who, as uh, Vanessa had mentioned, all of us who went to Carnegie Hall know that that was just the epitome of the 35 years. Um, you know, when you walked out on that stage, it was like, how did I get there? And then I remember it was through Juan's continued hard work. Um, we have traveled not extensively around the country, but we have regionally, we've sung at places in Oregon and um, places in Eastern Washington. Um, it's always been our practice to try to um, communicate with the people that communicate with our audience our purpose for being. And our purpose for being was to continue the legacy of the Black historical music. I think that in his 35 years, he did that very well. He was a hard taskmaster, but when you performed, you knew that it was worth it. Um, I, I just feel very honored to have been in the group that long. The, the friendships that were made were uh, everlasting. And uh, through working with, with Juan and Doris, uh, it will be something that you just, you won't ever forget. It's a treasure that we will carry with us forever. Now, uh, you, guys, you guys performed outside of the city and outside of the state. Where are some of the major venues that, that uh, the Sound of the Northwest performed? We did perform at a couple of uh, festivals. And I, I remember, um, I believe it was in, I'm not sure if it was Bellingham. We did a couple of Oktoberfest performances. We did perform, as I said, in Oregon at uh, a church that we were invited to there. And, and honestly, I don't remember the, the exact name of the venue um, primarily, we also performed at schools. We did a lot of educational uh, performances, trying to get students to um, introduce them to our music, to get them uh, culturally prepared for, for what was to come. Um, we weren't always accepted 
wholeheartedly because sometimes the, the, it was a situation where the students really weren't interested in our being there, but we persevered and performed anyway. Um, and I think we became stronger for that. And hopefully down the road, they will understand that our purpose was to was for their benefit. Um, We've also sung at Carney, uh, sorry, at Benaroya Hall. Yes. We've sung for some lawyers conventions here in Seattle at some of the hotels and many churches. And every every five years, we would have a special anniversary. And um, Dr. Issei Bonwell, who, who is a member of, or was a member of Sweet Honey in the Rock, would always come back and uh, conduct for us at our every five years. And I understand she will be in attendance at the memorial next week. Yes. Uh, she has retired from, from Sweet Honey. But they had, she and Juan had a very close relationship. And the memorial that uh, Ms. Shirley Young is referring to is the one for Juan Huey Ray. It will be at uh, Seattle's First CME Church on Friday, August 26th at 11 o'clock a.m. Mm-hmm. Now, Ms. Vanessa, I want to go back to you now. And what is on the drawing board right now uh, under uh, new leadership of uh, 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 the Sound of the Northwest? Well, we're planning to have a concert in memory and to honor Juan on November 19th, and that's going to be at First AME Church. Um, We're going to, we're looking for opportunities to sing in January um, for Martin Luther King Day, as well as February for Black History Month. We're planning to have a midwinter concert sometime in January. That date has not been um, set yet, and hopefully we'll have a conference where we can invite other choirs in to join us in the spring. I wanted to ask, uh, is, you ask, is there a website? How can people look up in, uh, uh, your information? Yes, our website is www.thesonw.org. That's www.thesonw.org. We also have a Facebook page as well as an Instagram page. Now, what if somebody can sing and uh, are you still taking auditions from, from potential singers? I would not include myself in that group. They uh, kicked me out to Mount Zion Youth Choir, started a basketball team, so I wouldn't okay. make it. Uh, we are definitely accepting new members. If you can sing, um, you need to come to two, a couple of rehearsals and then they, the person needs to have an interview with me. And after that, we can accept you into the choir. Um, after COVID, we lost, well, during COVID, we lost a lot of singers due to attrition, age, et cetera. So we are, we are building the choir back up and we're looking for young and old singers. And we really encourage younger singers to join us. As long as they can sing. So as long as they can sing, yes. Okay, that would not include me. <laughs> well, Ms. Shirley, uh, where would they, uh, where do you have your rehearsals and where would someone come and how could they contact you about an audition? Let's go back to Ms. Vanessa on that one. All right. Currently we're rehearsing at St. Clement's Episcopal Church in the Mount Baker neighborhood, but very soon we are moving our venue to Jazz Ed with their temporary site, which is in South Lake Union. I don't have the address right handy with me, but it's on Boren Street. Mm-hmm. We rehearse on Monday evenings f- 
from 7 to 9 p.m. And if okay. you talk to Shirley for a minute, I can give you the exact address. <laughs> okay, Ms. Shirley. Yes. Yeah, so I, I would just, while uh, Ms. Vanessa is getting the, the information, uh -huh. uh, have you guys accepted any new singers as of late? Or have you done anything since Juan Huey Ray passed away? Well, um, in, um, was it in June? We did a, a program at first in AME Church, which was in honor of um, John Lewis. And it was in conjunction with the um, dedication of the John Lewis Memorial Bridge out at the Northgate site, Northgate Transit site. And um, there was the, the program at first AME kicked off with a, uh, a panel discussion and speaker for which we sang. And then we uh, proceeded to go to the bridge and cross walk across the bridge in dedication. Yeah. Um, they never mentioned North Seattle Community College. The bridge starts there, but, but the transit pay, people paid all the money, so they get mentioned. Ms. Vanessa, we got about one minute. Do you have <laughs> that right. information for me? Yes, the address is 380 Boren Avenue North. And it's in, yes, and it's a it's in the Amazon building. The Amazon has been gracious to open it up to Jazz Ed until they build their uh, final home. Okay. Well, Ms. Vanessa uh, Wells-Bruce and Ms. Shirley Young from paying tribute to Juan Huey Ray, uh, who will be funeralized uh, on Friday, August 26th at 11 o'clock a.m. at First Sammy Church. Thank you both for all the work that you're doing, and thank you for keeping Juan Huey Ray's uh, memory alive. And uh, uh, Hayward was going to tell us about uh, the event on August 28th, which is uh, 59th anniversary of the 1963 March on Washington for jobs and freedom. It was a year before we got civil rights, two years before we got voting rights. And right now we got to fight for our rights once again. So thank you very much. And uh, I will be keeping up with you. So uh, I just want to be in closing. I want to just give a shout out to some people. Uh, thank you. Eddie. All, I want to. Okay. Thank you. I want to uh, uh, give a shout out to Sound Transit Civil Rights Office for Equity and Inclusion, and it's headed up by John T. Robinson, the City of Sales Purchasing and Construction Services Office, which is headed up by Liz Alzier, uh, the Port of Sales University Contracting Office, headed up by me and Rice, and I want people to remember that uh, a pillar of our community, Dr. Dorothy Hollingsworth, uh, will be funeralized at First AME on Thursday at 11 o'clock, that's Thursday, August 25th, 11 o'clock. Uh, Shalise Montgomery, uh, who worked, I worked with, with the Community Coalition for Contracts and Jobs, passed away. Uh, her funeral is going to be Saturday in Jackson, Tennessee. There will be a service up here later. And then Cecil Beatty Yasutaki will be at 2 o'clock at the Columbia City Theater. And then my own dear sister that passed away in September of 2020 during the height of COVID, we could not have a memorial service or anything for then. But we will be having one for Brenda Joyce Rye Brock uh, on uh, Saturday, September, uh, Saturday, August 20th at 2 o'clock at the Lakeside Chapel. So thank you, everybody, and thank you, Eric, and we'll see you again next week. Thank you.